0: Justin, Betsy, we're
1: we're we're deep into our Killer Clowns from Outer Cast. We are er, months.
0: Yeah, it feels like a week because time flies when you're having fun, baby. Having
1: fun, um, and we have a very uh, special, I guess, finale. A double we For, now-y. for now-y. Now-y. we got a <laughs> finale. Uh, yeah, a, a double header. We got to talk to um, two people who really love Killer Clowns from Outer Space, who were parts of it. Um, we, a couple we got, of
0: Johns. We
1: got two. They're both Johns. Hello, John. Uh, and we're not talking about, you know, Lady of the Night Johns. We're talking about men named John. We've got the composer of Killer Clowns from Outer Space, John Masari. And then right after that, we've got the dude, the man, the creative director of Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios, which, if you ever get the chance to go to, go to it. It rules. It's in Hollywood. Some of the, in Hollywood, baby. Uh, it's a really great uh, uh, night where you get to just do a bunch of awesome, scary mazes. Um, and we have the, the, the director of that, uh, John Murdy.
0: Talking about killer clowns from outer space, the maze at Universal Halloween Horror Nights Los Angeles from last year. Woo. Yeah, uh, Justin
1: and I went. We went through it twice, and it rules.
0: Oh, it was a dream come so, true.
1: Yeah. So please sit back. Uh, put your blindfolds on. Put your earphones in. And go on a wild ride.
0: We're talking to John Massari. Uh, Did I pronounce your name right? I fuck it up sometimes.
2: Oh, you're saying we we can use swear words?
1: Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah, We can. Lose your mind. Go ahead. Go
2: nuts. (laughs) Okay. That's absolutely good.
0: Nice. Okay, great. So I'm talking to John Massari, I yeah, alone, really no Justin, Betsy. Yeah, I'm
1: not
0: here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you hear Betsy, it's, it's a weird glitch. Um, <laughs> no, we're both talking to John Massari, who is the composer uh, of the soundtrack, the music for Killer Clowns from Outer Space, a film you should be uh, deeply familiar with at this point. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> He's wearing a killer Ooh, shirt.
1: Nice. Nice. Welcome. Thank uh, you so much for coming on.
2: Well, thank you for inviting me into your home. Ah. And uh, by the way, I really appreciate the, uh, uh, the 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 buffet platter that you sent to my hotel. <laughs> I, it was so wonderful. That's did just did it un- show up fresh? Yes, it did. Oh, it's good. Beautiful. It has a, it has a, a, a mid-European, nor, mid-Northern European theme to it. I just love it. so delicious. Good. I'm, I'm so relishing glad. It.
1: Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad. It cost us a lot of money. So please enjoy yeah. it.
2: And also, I just want to say that when you interviewed um, Steve Kyoto, he didn't get a buffet platter. So just want to say that. Hey.
0: Yeah, we'll just let the actions speak for themselves. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we would love to talk to you about, you know, obviously your work on the film. Okay. How did you get involved? How, how did you get involved in this killer movie?
2: <laughs> well, you know, you, you guys are in the business and every, every, uh, you know, every job that you do has a story and it, it has this myriad of paths that lead to it that you, there's no way that you could predict it. <laughs> so years before, a very good friend of mine uh, was a producer, very brilliant uh, guy, very well read, kind of a Renaissance man, and I did a lot of stuff with him. We worked together in our my early, early part of my career. Uh, we're going way back. This is way back before Killer Clowns. Um, so then all of a sudden something happened, and the bottom dropped out of his business, and uh, and uh, we we were basically roommates for. Uh, a few years and he's a very diligent uh, industrious individual you go to the library every day this is before the internet
1: Whoa. Uh, i and, remember uh, those days
2: he was always he's like plan- he was planning his next move mm-hmm. right and so he's reading he's writing scripts writing stories and uh taking meetings and all that sort of stuff so one day he comes back with this little slip of paper that he tore out of the variety which you're not supposed to do at the library but anyway <laughs> He um, he says, you got to check this out. And there was a guy back east in Washington, D.C. that was doing a trailer for his uh, movie to raise funds to for his feature. And uh, so I got that job. I applied for it. This is the days where you had to mail a tape and you had to wait. There was no. Right. So anyways, we became good friends. He later um, worked at came to work at Disney. Um, as a uh, 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 post-production supervisor. And uh, one day he said, you know, I have these friends. They, I used to work with them back East, and uh, they got this crazy movie. It's called, you may not want to do it because you're such a serious composer, but it's called like Killer Clowns uh, Invade Earth or something. And I go, "I go, oh, oh my God, I've been waiting for the, that <laughs> kind of movie all my life. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yes. And you gotta, you got to understand this is around the time of um, uh, Tim Burton came uh, with Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, hey, that's an awesome drama, kind of like horror, bizarre uh, storyline. And another favorite movie of mine was um, Richard Elfman's Forbidden Zone, oh. you know? So I I love the quirky and bizarre. So I, I got in touch with Steve and he says, well, you know, there's a lot of people um, interviewing for this, so you're going to have to, Interview and ad- audition with a bunch of other people. So I came. We, I went to a screening. There was probably about about a hundred people at the screening. I don't know how many of them were composers, but we, they all had a <clears throat> VHS tape of the entire film uh, without music on uh-huh. it. By the way, Killer Killer Clown Outer Space without music is really scary. I. Bet. It's really, <laughs> really bizarre, especially the scene at the bus stop. Oh. It's just. It's just stark, and it's like, and, and like when they get eaten, it's just so mean, you know, yes. just so cruel, yeah, <laughs> you know. And then the guy puts all their their their, their essence into that bag. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, wait a minute, that's like so cruel. <laughs> I mean, and, and 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 the scene with Officer where he becomes like a fatrolicus probably That was one. Of, the first time I saw that, I saw, it, I go that's cool. (laughs) That is, that is absolutely dastardly. This is like, these people aren't really, they're messing with your mind. Oh, it was great. So anyways, I took it home and I picked one scene to do. And in that scene, it had several transitions and it kind of like what I call the cornerstone, what defines the movie. It's the scene where uh, Mike and Debbie go into the um, uh, the, the the circus tent. Yeah, uh, they they get discovered. There's a chase. There's the balloon dog. They run away. They say, "Why these killer clowns?" Okay, good. <laughs> you got the title of the movie in. And then we see the 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 uh, the clowns uh, invade the town. Yep. Right. They get up. They get up. That you know, slow you Michael you Myers
1: getting up. I love it so right. much. Right. <laughs> and
2: so and that's where I said, "Hey, I will use that march." Yes. Steve, I got the call back from Steve and he said, well, we really like what you did. Cause you took it seriously. You weren't goofy or anything. I treated it like a classical piece of music. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was from the repertory. I mean, I, I was, uh, I was quoting Shostakovich and Prokofiev and, and all that. I figured, you know, the music, I figured the music will be the straight mare. Yes. You know, you know, and yeah. when we did it with an orchestra, uh, uh, a couple of years ago it that that fact really was um magnified that it was such a legitimate sound but you have these bizarre as hell story <laughs> and concept of a movie and it's like they go hand in hand yeah you know yeah
0: yeah that juxtaposition is so cool i think that march is it, it, it's like such a cool moment like the music makes that moment it uh, mm-hmm. kind of like elevates it to like creepy and like has this like dour sort of, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's like a, there's an intense sadness to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but I also like good and it, it's still like fun, <laughs> you know, like somehow you're, you're balancing both things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, let me, let me tee you up. Uh, I know that there's a story about this March.
2: There is? Uh, <laughs> what's
0: yeah. I know. Surprise, surprise. What where where did be? it good come job, from? Everyone. Oh, where did
2: it come from? <laughs> Well, if you put the Wayback Machine be- way before Killer Clowns, way before I started my career in high school, I played hard rock before we called it metal. Yes. Right? And so we were playing there's a band I was in called Crisis and we were <laughs> playing like oh, Led Zeppelin, um, uh, Black Sabbath, uh, Kiss. Yes. Uh, you know, just like really cool stuff. We would basically learn songs off the latest album and then play them at a high school dance. So we decided at one point we were going to start doing originals. So that's when I wrote the killer clowns theme, but I didn't, I didn't know it was the killer clowns theme and the band heard it. And they said, it sounds like jazz. (laughs) It sounds too jazzy.
3: That's
1: so weird.
2: And they were like like goofing on it and everything. (laughs) So anyway, so when, when I later years later, when I saw the film, I said, that's it. Oh, I, th- that's where it belongs, right there.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Get out of here, crisis. You know, you know. <laughs> yeah, need I've said it once. Marsh. I'll say
0: it again. The only crisis is you're too jazzy. Ooh,
1: got him. <laughs> got him.
0: <'em. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, we really don't have a problem with you, crisis. Uh, <laughs> honestly, you know, you are yeah. wrong, but uh, you know, we all make mistakes.
2: <laughs> In crisis, we had two Dougs, a Joe, and a John. <laughs>
1: I wish that was like the whole I mean, title it. of the band's name. We are crisis, And crisis. Uh, two I met dogs, one, a
2: Joe and a John. I, hey, that's a good, that's a, hey, that's a, that's like a movie right. title too. That's a there's, a, there's a script somewhere in there. I just, uh, a few months ago, I met with the bass player, uh, Joe Fotis. And uh, he's got uh, what used to be his tool shop rigged with tons of amplifiers and every morning he makes himself coffee and he just jams for like three or four hours and i said joe that that's why you're still good at what you do you do it every day i you know i i every time i have to play bass i have to practice for like three weeks right and then and then even then i'll do, 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 do okay i recorded that let me save that and go no, I didn't do that right. And like I'm stitching it together. So when it's together, it sounds like, hey, that's a hot bass line. But it took, for, it took forever.
0: forever. <laughs> oh, you're like me in every voiceover audition. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I did a good job on that line. Yeah. All right. We're going oh, to that. Oh, shit.
1: I got to start doing that. Uh,
0: I'm
1: just like, well, yeah, I yeah, it uh,
0: takes a lot yeah. more time and you still don't get the parts, <laughs> Betsy.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. No, Uh, fascinating. I've always wondered. I've never been able to understand just music in general, but like composing a whole movie is so cool,
2: right? And then you know, you 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 develop themes, and you uh, uh, you you develop um, you 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 have material that you know it's going to work at various parts of the movie, right? And that, and of course, everything has to be approved,
1: of course. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and
2: I, I I am so lucky that I've worked with talented directors that they basically give me a direction. It's like the Ketter Brothers basically gave me a direction. They say these are the movies with that we like. We like King Kong, uh, you know, all the all the mm-hmm. Ray Harryhausen uh, movies, and they all had legitimate orchestral scores. That's what we need. Perfect. Right? Um but, uh, as far as the character of the, uh, of the music, it had to be serious,
1: yeah, because it makes it makes yeah, everything and I, I think, pop so much harder the the jokes uh, and the scary
2: moments it's, it's right really and good. sometimes knowing when to stop your music yes and and, and uh, Elmer Bernstein, who did uh, uh the ghostbuster movie oh, nice. right nice. and 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 um and Stripes. Now, I must say, I hope I don't get in trouble for this, oh. but I, I, t- I, I took a, a Walkman cassette recorder <laughs> into the movie theater and recorded just the audio to see how the dialogue, because those were dialogue-heavy movies, mm-hmm. right? And they got a great score with it. So it's it's a good study to listen to the movie like a radio show. Yeah, And then you start to notice more things. You start to notice the timing of the jokes, you know in the writing first of all and the in the performance of the actors you also and he's how the music integrates with that and sometimes it's just i love it there would be like uh, uh Rick Moranis would say something and they're trying to fi- everyone's trying to figure out what he says and the music's kind of like kinda like ambling like like a skip of a record <laughs> yes like, yeah and then and then you know Bill Murray will say something and then the music kind of continues <laughs>
1: yes you know what yeah, i'm saying yeah
2: so, or or there'll be like a stop. And it's like, and nothing's happening. Right. And that that stark silence is what's that awkward stark silence is what becomes funny. Right. So I I I kind of use those techniques in killer clowns. So I owe it all to Elmer <laughs> Bernstein. They were. Don't, don't tell anyone. Okay, we won't.
0: <laughs> John, this is yeah. a public podcast. I don't know if you know.
2: <laughs> this is a what podcast? Uh, public. Uh, now it's, it's, it's you know.
1: <laughs> We got so, you.
2: So that's why you Shoot. delivered food here. Yeah. And it's a bribe. We're yeah.
1: working for Elmer. We uh, He needed you to say that.
0: <laughs> yeah. From beyond the grave. Try the Nordic salad, by the way, in that buffet. Nordic- it's really oh, oh, good. <laughs> listen,
2: uh, it's to die for. <laughs>
0: Uh, speaking of To Die For, uh-huh. uh, I wanted to talk about, I guess it's not really death, but uh, our fa- one of my favorite spooky sequences is that Big Top Burger, uh, you know, the little yes. girl inside and the clown kind of beckoning her outside. And I feel right. like the music, I mean, every part of it works really well, but the music is really what brings it all together. Okay. And I'd love to hear,
2: you know, that, about that scene. Well, I got to give credit where credit is due. Um, I believe it was, it's interesting working with the Kyoto Brothers because once they they're talking to, they kind of all talk together at one time <laughs> and then they all they all they're all in these different lanes and they all come in one lane and they give you their concept idea it like emerges yes. you know and uh, i have see, i got to witness that several times working on this movie and other projects that we've worked on um, and we did a podcast months ago where it happened like and i said <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have just witnessed the <laughs> creative process of the Caretta Bros. So, anyways, they were talking about, and it came out of this one thing: the music has to be transparent,
3: oh. where
2: you don't—it's you, there, but you don't know it's there because the scene is. We want people to think that the clown is going to clobber this little innocent girl on the head, yes. but the fact that that's what he was waiting to do and is more scary than actually doing it. Right. So, I. Yes. I and I thought, I thought, how about if I had innocence of a, uh, of a female choir, very thin, and maybe with a little pulse coming in that just, like, stops abruptly, Ooh, you know? Yeah. Because we think we're going to have... So that's, that's how that came. But that was basically their... You know, like I say, they give you... They don't tell you how to do it. Yep. They didn't, they didn't play me uh, an example from another. Here, do something like this. Uh-huh. They just... Uh, like a really good director gives you, you know, I, I, I want to be terrified. I want to be shocked and surprised when we realize that it was the butler that did it or right. the butler that didn't, the butler actually didn't do it, you know? Yep. Um, you know, so uh, that was, that's how that came about. It, it's just really good direction. The Kilder Brothers knew what they wanted from their movie. Mm-hmm. They're very, they're very astute. All three of them are very astute artists. And, uh, it's an actual crime in this industry that they haven't done just like s- series after series of, of great, crazy movies. Right. It's just like just insane. It's just one of those things. This this movie, uh, Killer Clowns, ha- has grown in popularity through generations of people. I mean, there are, are grand grandparents that have their grandchildren. So you've got to see this movie. Yes. You know. So you can imagine I'm sitting there at like some signing and a five year old comes up to me. My grandpa plays this for me. Oh. And it's our favorite. Oh. And it's like <laughs> I want my heart back. Right. You stole my heart. You know? <laughs> right. So and that's yeah. the that's the wonderful thing about this movie is that I, I feel that I've got a um I've inherited this extended family. Of nieces, nephews, uh, grandkids, <laughs> 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 and things like, that. and and I've 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 really um, uh, developed some wonderful friendships with up and coming musicians and composers that you know need advice yeah. and maybe just a maybe a, a little bit of encouragement here and there. So it's th- that part of it's very fulfilling.
1: Oh, I bet yeah it's got to feel so cool to be such a part of a huge cult classic that does mm-hmm. seem to just keep getting bigger and bigger because now it's on Netflix like more and more right. people have access mm-hmm. to it
3: mm-hmm. Oh.
2: Mm-hmm. and people are as people are more accepting of it now right whereas whereas in the beginning I'd be very honest with you I'll be very honest with you I, uh, my grandmother was alive at the time when I did Killer Clowns. And um, probably like eight months before Killer Clowns, I'd done the Wonderful World of Disney theme. One of one of the permutations of that.
3: Yeah. Tra-
2: tradition for Disney, right? And so my grandmother, she was so proud of me. Oh my goodness. So he goes, John, a- my grandmother had a very heavy Italian and Brooklyn accent. Good. Because she's from Italy. So I, I, almost, I can't really imitate it. I do have recordings of it. But in any event, I took her one of the scenes from Killer Clowns that like, you know, it's mysterious and beautiful. And so she goes, oh, my goodness, this is very is is this like a forest where there's a princess castle or something? You know, I go, well, sort of. There's a, there's a circus tent, but it's actually a, a spaceship and uh, and, uh, and there are killer clowns from outer space that live inside. Oh, that's a horrible thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's Thanks, terrible. <laughs> Why is why do you make such beautiful music for that? <laughs> <laughs> so but my but my dad he did, he didn't like right. it. He thought it was it's too weird. I don't like it. Okay, well it's it's not for you. I, the the when I returned the master tapes to the studio it was like, you know, like one in the afternoon and the legal and uh, accounting department was coming back from lunch and we were in the elevator and I had this dolly full of 2-inch 24-inch tracks tape. Hey, and they go, oh wow, what's this? I go, oh, well, it's one of your newest pro- products, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh man, throw that in the dumpster. That thing is going nowhere. <sighs> it's going to be lost. I, I, I don't think a distrib- no distributor is going <gasps> to want to like even touch that thing. And so, I would love to meet them now,
1: right?
2: <laughs> uh huh.
1: Whoa. And tell
2: them, I suppose. Well, what I told them, the elevator. I says, well, you know what? It's not your movie. Right. <laughs> right, you yeah, people, people really who majored have in
0: business
1: <laughs> and math or whatever, get out of here, man.
0: <laughs> Separate the subjective from the objective, and baby, it's doing great yeah. now. Well, you know
2: there, there are those, there are those people that are producers, like you know, uh, I don't know if you, uh, the mentor of Jim Henson, which I believe was Lord Lou Gray. Uh yeah. he was one of these cigar-chomping, yes. you know, uh, producers as well. All I can say is the man is a brilliant genius. I don't know what the hell he's doing, but people love it.
0: <laughs> you just need and, to find that and, one person who's like, all right, I guess I'll just sacrifice the money for it, even though I don't understand right. it. Right.
2: And and uh, all he knew that is that people adored it. Right. And so we'll just keep going. It doesn't matter that I understand it necessarily, you know. Yeah. Oh, we got to get one of those. Oh. <laughs> Thank yeah, we got, we got to get a bunch of those <laughs> yeah, go right. Well, Frank Zappa used to say that He says, in the music business It used to be this generation of cigar shopping <laughs> Exactly, he's like, I don't know what it is, but if it sells We'll do one, and if it sells, we'll make more Yes, You know. smart and I'm sure you guys have all kinds of great stories That you can't say on the air <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> No, everything's perfect and easy uh, <laughs> When you make things <laughs> Right, right uh well I mean I I wanted to I, I we kind of have to wrap up but okay. I, I just wanted to pick your brain if there's anything else that you wanted to share about the experience of Killer Clowns I know you said that there's something that you you were able to share on the air when you were when we were chatting online
2: There's what there's a bit of trivia okay there's maybe yes. two things there's a bit of trivia there's every uh, um, James uh James and Chelsea of Dead Meat James. Oh,
1: yeah! Of Dead they're Meat. great. Yeah, I love them they, so much.
2: I got I, I to t- have him do an insert for his uh, kill count for Killer Clowns from Outer Space because there's two kills that he missed. <gasps> yeah, and it's before the farmer dies. The two girls in the ice cream truck kill any possibility of the Terenzi brothers getting laid.
1: Okay, okay. Okay. <laughs>
2: Keep Bingo, your shirt on. We
1: intend to. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so th- there, uh, we did a concert two years ago, and we were in the process of doing another permutation uh, of the concert in a much bigger. Uh, way. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the COVID hit. So that's kind of on hold for now.
1: Okay. And,
2: and uh, I'm working with a really wonderful, passionate uh, concert and event promoter that uh, really gets it and grew up with the movie <sighs> and once saw what I did in 2018, which was the 30-year mm-hmm. anniversary. And he says, you know what, well, that should be a regular thing. And and we had so many wonderful ideas and, you know, um so anyway, so that's something that's um, something's
1: going to happen.
2: That's that's something in the future. And for the fans that want a sequel. I will make this very uh, very clear. The Killer Clamps from Outer space is owned by a public by a publicly traded company called NGM Pictures. Mm-hmm. And it's uh www.mgm.com. They have because it's publicly traded, they have a contact contact section and it would be wonderful that you just send them a card saying, "We would love to. We love ah. to from outer Space. Can you can you make another one? Ooh. You know, and if I you mean, want, let's to, do it. And you want to add another line? You could say, and if you can have the Kyoto Brothers and bring back the original cast and crew in some way, and have John Lucardi <laughs> do the music yeah. score.
1: You got it.
2: You can be there. that. That could
1: be <laughs> fine. <print. Yes. laughs> uh.
0: Man, John,
2: thank, thank you so you much. So this is so blast.
1: This is such a dream come true.
2: Oh, it's a dream come uh, true. For me, I love your work and you know, you, you have such a you have such a, a love for the uh for the genre uh, and I lo- I, I listen to your podcast as it's supposed to be heard uh, as a as a radio show and you guys did you you picked out these little gems. From you know, there's always a new dimension that people perceive from this movie, and it's you guys were are so great at this. Oh,
1: thank
0: you! Huh. I'm so glad that means a lot coming
2: from you.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we just we love it so much.
2: <laughs> we love your work. And, and, we love the uh,
1: film. Yeah,
2: and uh, maybe when this um, pandemic pans out or <laughs> finishes, we'll all hang out.
1: I am in. Yes, I'm Let's so. let grab a drink
2: in. or a buffet. You got it.
0: Yes. Hit, hit the Vegas. Yes. <laughs> You're speaking Betsy's I language. Mean, You're truly, speaking my language. Vegas
1: at a buffet. I'm there. I'm there.
0: <laughs> yeah, at buffet anywhere. I'm I'm good. Yeah.
1: Oh, thank you so much, uh, John. Yeah,
2: thank, thank you, you. Betsy. Uh, thank you, Justin. Thank you, Justin.
0: Have a great one. Uh,
2: you too. Bye, everybody.
0: Bye. Uh,
1: thank you so much.
2: See ya.
0: Whoa, what a cool behind-the-scenes peek at how the music worked.
1: Ooh, I learned a lot. Music blows my mind, man. And the idea, composing the whole movie seems exhausting. But also, he nailed it. He He also knows how music works. I don't, but
0: whatever. Yeah, well, uh, happy Halloween, Betsy. You're going to be... Composing a movie without any experience. It's, it's, you're a, that movie's
1: gonna suck, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, that was awesome. I'm so pumped we got to talk to him. Uh, and then I'm very excited for this next part. Where we get to talk to John Murdy
0: Yes, creative director of Halloween Horror Nights out in Los Angeles uh, The Ooh. maze fucking ruled last year and
1: he, It was so good
0: He digs deep
1: He digs deep and we got to listen to him And now you get to listen to him Here we go Enjoy <laughs>
0: Well, here we are, Killer Clowns from Outer Cast, talking to John Murdy.
4: Yeah. How are you? Good, hey, everybody. Happy, this is the season, so happy Halloween to everybody out there. Yeah.
0: And a happy Halloween to you and you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, this honestly, this is so fun for us because I feel like my my favorite memory of last Halloween is Betsy and I going to Halloween Horror Nights together. Uh uh and oh, that's cool going through the killer clowns maze we like rushed to that and then we had to end our night at it too uh, <laughs> yeah we
1: book ended it
0: <laughs> we it was our you know repeat maze but uh it's it's like bittersweet to to talk about it now because we wish we could be there right now but it's oh. it's so cool to actually have you on
4: the show oh it's my pleasure thank you No, it's it's weird for me, too, because, like, you know, I'm always in L.A. Mm -hmm. during Halloween, and uh, I live in Ireland now, and um, Ireland's not as, like, in, you know, Irish people, when you try to explain to them, like, what Halloween is like in L.A. or anywhere in America, really, they're just like, really? (laughs) (laughs) Which is ironic, because Halloween, the roots of Halloween, pagan festival comes from Ireland, you know? but it's, it's nowhere near as big a deal. So this is like the first Halloween where kind of the nice side of it is I'm home with my kids. Yeah. So I get to, I get to, I have a very small select audience this year. <laughs> I'm trying to entertain two, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, yes. <laughs> which actually is probably going to be the hardest, you know, challenge. of my career. Life, yeah. So.
1: Yeah. You got to make them a maze of like what frozen two or something. A, a Very scary. No, f-
4: not with my kids. <laughs> my kids, no way. My kids, um, I showed my daughter, uh, the silent phantom of the opera when she was two. Wow. <laughs> Cause yeah. Yeah. I mean, these kids, I mean, my, my daughter was on my oldest daughter, Isabella, who's seven. Um, when I was doing the press junket for, for Insidious two, which I was working with them doing a maze and they wanted me to do the press junket. Yeah. Um, I couldn't find a babysitter and she was really young. <laughs> she was a baby baby. And I called up, um, you know, the producer. And I was like, uh, I have to bring my baby, <laughs> you know? Yes. And I actually have pictures of me on the at the press junket holding my child. <laughs> and and while I was being interviewed, James Wan and Lee L you know, the writer and director, yeah. are like going, you know, and like trying to keep her quiet. <laughs> so she, that kid grew up with horror. Yes. So she, right.
1: And so, yeah, this is a good place to start. Did you... Grow
4: up loving horror? Yeah, well, specifically, like, my entree into horror, and it's a kind of a classic story in my family, um, I, you know, I grew up uh, predominantly, like, as a kid in the 1970s. And, you know, in, in the 70s, every town in America had a horror, you know, movie television host, the equivalent of what, like, Elvira became in, like, the 80s. Um, but back in the 70s, like, every town had, you know, Dr. Spooky or whatever, you know, uh, Goulardi, And they, they all had names like that. And um, they would always rerun the classic universal monster black and white horror films from the 1920s, 30s, and 40s on a Saturday. So one particular Saturday, uh, my mother let me watch Frankenstein, uh-huh. the 1931 universal classic with Boris Karloff. Um, that James Whale directed. And uh, the story goes that when she came back, uh, I was, like, crying my eyes out. And her immediate reaction was, oh, my God, I've traumatized my son. Here's to years of therapy. (laughs) But um, when she actually, like, talked to me, what she realized is that I wasn't afraid of, of Frankenstein at all. What I had done even at the age... And I was four, you know. At the age of four, I immediately sympathized with the monster Because, you know, and I think this is true of all the classic universal horror films, the monster films, Um, the the real monsters in the movies aren't the monsters themselves. They're the people, you know, the guys with pitchforks and torches trying to burn down the windmill. Um, And I just and literally I just felt so damn sorry for Frankenstein that I burst into tears. And from that moment on, I became obsessed with like those movies. So I watched them all. And uh, back, this is back in the day of the the old Aurora Monster models, which was kind of like the first consumer product for those characters. And I I collected all of those until my brothers blew them up with M (laughs) eighties one Fourth of July. I love to tell them now. I always tell them now, like you know, an original creature from the Black Lagoon from the sixties in the box (laughs) is worth about you know a thousand fifteen hundred bucks now. But um, in any case, that that's how I originally came, you know, came to love monsters. And then really quickly after that, I realized there was this place called Universal Studios Hollywood where all those films were made and the studio tour in the early days, my parents took me there in 74 and uh, they had, of course, Frankenstein and the Wolfman and, you know, Dracula walking around the park. So that's, that was kind of my entree into knowing connecting a movie studio with the films I loved so that's kind of how I like got into horror as a kid. Oh,
1: that's Man. so incredible. And when you went to Universal Studios, was there like a little part of you being like, I want to
4: work here and do something here <laughs> yeah, in some way? The, yeah, what the the kind of the signature year where that light bulb went off was in 77 because And I know all these years because when I look back on the old, like, you know, Polaroid pictures that my parents have, you can tell by like what I'm wearing. Like there's a picture, there's a picture of me, you know, next to the shark from Jaws, you know, um, and I'm wearing a powder blue, (laughs) this is so 70s, (laughs) a powdered blue iron-on decal Chewbacca shirt (sighs) because Star Wars had just come out that summer. And um, I'm, I'm, uh you know posing with the shark from jaws but also they used to have right at the exit of the studio tour there was this store and it had all these amazing monster masks and makeup like real theatrical makeup um and the guys who worked there and i'm pretty sure at one point the westmore makeup family uh makeup artists the people who you know did creature in the black lagoon back in the day and you know, all, all the, the later universal horror movies because Jack Pierce did the original ones. But um, I know in the early, early days, they used to, like, some of them used to work in the park. I'm not sure if this was the case because I was seven. But in any case, they would just take random people and they would make oh. them up. And so I got I got this big, bloody gap <laughs> down the middle of my face with bruised flesh and blood dripping <laughs> all over my face. And the the crazy thing is they just let you walk around the park. <laughs> yes. You know, this would never... Never in a million years would this happen today, but like all these parents like freaked out and came running up to my mom and dad and just started yelling at him like, oh my God, take this child to first aid. Are you the worst parents ever? And so, um, I loved it. I was just like, you know, oh my God, this is great. So that that's like when the little light bulb went off. Like I, this is what I want to do. Although at that age, it was like I want to be a makeup artist. Right. I want to be Rick Baker. I want to be Rick Baker or Stan Winston or you know one of those guys. Oh yeah. man,
0: I, I had such a similar experience, albeit a later studio tour, I imagine. But like I grew up in the valley, going on that. Mm-hmm. I think it was a two-part tram tour at the time. There was a, a break for lunch yes. or something.
4: Well, I could tell you because I was a tour guide. That's how I started. <laughs> yeah. There was three parts to it. Huh. Yeah, it was it was over two hours long. It was a long tour.
0: Yeah, it was would, like that was the day.
4: Yeah, it, in the early days of the theme park, well, was go, and originally that's all there was there. It was in '64 when it opened. Um, there was two trams, two tour guides you know, two drivers and a ticket booth on Lancashire Boulevard that sold tickets. And that's all there was, was the studio tour. And then it just evolved from there, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, That court of miracles, I feel like, always stuck out to me as a kid. And I think when I went, they had Frankenstein kind of like walking by the tram or the monster walking by the tram while you're kind of loading up. and uh,
4: Yeah, he was kind of, it's weird, but he was kind of the unofficial, like, mascot of the studio tour. In its earliest days, like if you look at the old advertising going back to the, you know, probably early 70s, it, not only was it Frankenstein, but they invented a character called Frankenstein Jr. <laughs> I don't know if anybody remembers I just this. saw a
0: little piece on Etsy. I was like, who is this? I want to buy this little yeah, pennant. Yeah, it's
4: Frankenstein Jr. <laughs> and, he, and he was like a little mini Frankenstein and he had cut off like shorts on. Yeah. And uh, that that was like, those characters were like the unofficial you know, mascots for the studio tour, and the spokesperson was Hitchcock, because um, Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, people forget. Everybody associates Psycho with Universal, and it's oh, it's a Universal movie, which it is, but it wasn't. It wasn't originally a Universal movie. It was a Paramount film. Wow! And it was uh, towards the end of his deal with Paramount. As you can tell, I'm like a. <laughs> I, I, I do a lot of stuff with Universal Film History and in the, the history of the theme park as well. But um, Hitchcock, when he came over to do the television show Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Paramount kind of like didn't want anything to do with Psycho because it was perceived as kind of like a low budget, you know, kind of like a B movie uh-huh. almost. So he shot pretty much the whole thing at Universal and some locations elsewhere. But the movie, the main movie, was filmed at Universal. But during that time, he was the largest stockholder in what was then MCA, which owned the company at the time. And so he—I uh, don't know if they asked him to do it or whatever—but if you you can actually find old commercials with Alfred Hitchcock going ride the tram, you know, <laughs> at Universal Studios, it really you know, and it's 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 hysterical. But he was like the he was the voice of it. Oh, and that's wild.
1: so awesome! So, so yeah, you were a tram
0: tour. Sorry. Oh no, you, <laughs> you're
1: going to say what I was.
0: going to no, no, say. No, no, anyways. no, no,
1: no. Well, how? Yeah, how did you? So you started as a tour guide, as a tram tour guide.
4: Yeah, yeah. I started as a tour guide in 1989, but my like my haunt <laughs> career started when I was 10. Oh, that's when it actually started. Um, I. I was so inspired by like you know makeup and horror movies that I I decided I was going to do my own haunted house, um, in '77. This is this is not only is it embarrassingly <laughs> silly the theme that I picked because I was already like I I already was doing what I would later do in my career at Universal, <laughs> which was to try to take movies and make them into haunted houses. But you know, being a kid in 1977 of course, the number one movie was Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So I did a Star Wars haunted house in my parents' house in 1977. And the, the crazy part about that is, you know, people who who remember when Star Wars came out will remember this. You couldn't buy anything mm-hmm. that summer. You know, when I say iron-on decal t-shirts, that was about it. Yeah, you know, There was no consumer products. There was no Kenner action figures I still somewhere in my house in California I still have you had to like send them the money and they sent you an IOU and it was like (laughs) when we make these we will give them to you little boy you know um because they just they didn't nobody thought that movie was going to be as big a hit as it was everybody turned it down so um we made everything we made our own costumes we made our own lightsabers out of like flashlights and plastic tubes and um and i played a a tuscan raider a sand person and my brother played c-3po and we made everything out of like chicken wire and paper mache and um and i did this that that particular year and we did it for four years at my parents house and i just like horror nights i like expanded with you know as soon as like i did it the first time then the next year i went to my poor father and said all right, now we're going to, not only were we going to go in, you know, the first scene was in, Star Wars was really just in the, the foyer or the you know entryway of the house and everything just kind of happened around you. But uh, by the fourth year I did it, I went to my dad August 1st and said, all right, you can't park your car in the garage because that's where the that's where the pit and the pendulum scene is going to be. And we would go, this is probably terrible because I'm basically admitting to a crime here, but it was a very young kid. I don't think they could have charged me. But <laughs> what we did is we went around the neighborhood and stole everybody's Malibu lights oh. for our lighting, for like our outdoor scenes. We would just drive around and go, oh, I'll take this light yeah. and this light. And then we would go to supermarkets and we would take all of their boxes and pallets and crates and stuff, you know, not with food in them, like the empty ones. Yeah. So we took all their pallet, pallets and broke them apart and built stuff. Um, so he literally dumpster dived and we um we you know the last year we did it, you went in the front door and my mom came down the stairs and she was a like a vampiro-type vampire with a candle and freaking kids out. And then you went into the bathroom, I was Norman Bates, I popped out of the shower. I never I never kind of equated like that, like why would Norman be inside <laughs> the shower? But I popped out of the shower with a butcher huh? knife and it was a real, it was a real knife. I, I just went you know, you're you're a kid. I think I was 14 by that point. So you just go, I need a knife. Yeah. Oh, there's one in the kitchen. I'll just take it out of the drawer. And then, um, <laughs> and then, uh, my grandmother played the witch. My uh-huh. grandmother was one of the main reasons I do what I do because she was the scariest damn woman <laughs> in the in the history of Halloween. She she. Uh, to give you an example, she owned her own witch costume, like a full-on witch costume in the 70s. Yes. I never understood why. <laughs> but she was supposed to be the person giving you candy, but she freaked all the kids out, <laughs> so nobody ever took candy from her. And then you went into the garage, and there was this big pit in the pendulum scene. You went to the backyard, and we built a like a black-and-white strobe light checker room. You know? ah. And then you went around the side of the house, and there was an operation scene, and then you went around the – into the you know from the backyard around to the other side of the house and we dug all these graves of zombies and uh, took like old Santa Claus, um like those figures you would put in your house like battery operated like yes. uh-huh. little elves and Santa Claus and we buried them in the ground <laughs> and we put masks over them and padding so that you just saw these zombies going jingle bells you know <laughs> like like six of them out of tune with each other um, and any so then you left but. That particular Halloween, my father, before we were going to open the doors, looked out the front window, and there was like 200 kids lined <gasps> up down the street. And he just turned to me, and I'm standing there holding a butcher knife, and just this look of you know horror comes across <laughs> his face, and he goes we're going to be sued. <laughs> you know? What are you kids? Is, that guy's got to relax. Yeah. Got to a knife and somebody's going to, you know, this is terrible. We can't keep doing this. And at that point he said, you got to, you got to stop. We can't keep doing this. Yeah. So the very next Halloween, there was a little um, independent hunt in a strip mall. And I grew up in Hacienda Heights and, and I went to school in Whittier and it was at the Whitwood Plaza uh, mall and they just had like an empty vacant store. And it was supposed to be for like little kids. Um, but the I guess whoever they had that was doing their production um, bailed on them or failed or whatever. And so they literally called my dad. <gasps> and they said, we heard about this kid. <laughs> you know, <gasps> Could you loan him to us? And so I designed my first haunted <gasps> house. That was, I, I, you couldn't even call it professional because they charged for it. but It was like volunteer. Because you know? yeah. I would think I was 15. I couldn't really get paid. <laughs> So um, I did that when I was like 15 oh. years old. And then, and then, yes, then eventually I became a tour guide. So that's, yeah, it's it's a cr- crazy story in my family with, you know, how all of this came to be. I that's love that you so can incredible. see
0: that so early. Yeah, you know, like even repurposing the the Christmas decorations, I feel like is a skill that you probably have to take whatever the adult version of that is to something now like I feel like anytime you build anything it's like what can we use and and how cheaply can we do it but make it look good
4: yeah I think a lot of that comes from you know nowadays um, and I'm definitely going to sound like the old man now um which I am but (laughs) uh you know you couldn't go to Gosh, anywhere in LA you go at Home Depot or anywhere, there's like all this amazing Halloween stuff yeah. that you can buy, you know? And and not everything's like super expensive either. There's some really cool stuff. But there just wasn't that in this in the early 70s and the mid-70s. Um, so you had to come up with stuff. You had to make it yourself, you know. And so you you became little prop masters and craftsmen, you know from just, you know, making stuff and, you know, and that's how you learned. That's so, uh, so cool. It was kind of a cool time to grow up, really, you know. Yeah. yeah it really was a limitation so breeds
0: creativity sort of uh, mindset.
4: Yeah. I mean, there was no, look, look, there was no internet, there was no cable TV, there was no video games, yeah. there was television that had, you know, what, like five channels <laughs> yeah. and UHF, you know, and um, you just had to, you had to do that. You had to, you had to entertain your your friends and your neighbors with, you know, doing wacky, kooky stuff, you know?
1: Yeah. When when
4: did Horror Nights start in Hollywood at Universal? Well, technically it started back in the 80s. Okay. Uh, that's, that's the thing that people don't remember so much anymore is because uh, they always equate like, oh, it started in Orlando. It didn't start in Orlando. It started in Hollywood. Okay. Um, way back. But they only did it one year. Um, And it was mostly about the studio tour and then it went away and then it came back in the nineties and then it went away and then it came back again in the late nineties and, um, and then it went away. And then by the time uh, we took it over in 2006, I think it hadn't been done for about five years. It was either four or five years. Um, It just hadn't been done at all. Orlando has had a very long, you know, consistent history. This, this year would have been their 30th, you know, so so Ellie was much more sporadic. Okay, um, it was fits and starts. Yeah, you know, until 2006. Yeah. You
1: know. Whoa. And and did you um, go from like tram tour guide to scare
4: actor ever? Or no, my my path was um, the reason I started as a tour guide is because even though I was like a home haunter when I was a little kid, mm-hmm. um, you know, by the time I got to like junior high, I kind of discovered theater. Yeah, And um and it was kind of I can remember the exactly the year it was 1980 because if you look back on that year from a movie standpoint um even though we we look at 70s as the golden age of like the new hollywood movement and all that and it was for sure but 1980 was the tail end of that and it was raging bull um and de niro and it was the elephant man oh. and john hurt Um, all these amazing acting performances in that particular year. But the one that really got me was uh, Timothy Hutton in Ordinary People because he was like more closer to my age. And I saw that movie in 1980 and I just went, I want to be an actor. I want to do that, you know. And and so in 1980, I was – (laughs) <laughs> uncle sam in my junior high musical pageant i love america yes. you know it was like you know it was like one of those shows that you know christopher guest should make a documentary <laughs> of, a mockumentary about it was like the, all you know there was davy crockett and there <laughs> were, you know there was all these you know, you know characters celebrating the greatness of america and i and i was the kind of the through line through it um so i got you know did a whole bunch of musical theater in in uh high school and then in uh at the end of high school i auditioned and got a drama scholarship for acting specifically so uh since they were going to pay a large portion of my tuition i was like excellent you know i don't have to lump this on mom and dad and um so uh, about maybe about my junior year of college i decided i want to write i wanted to start writing my own plays and uh I went to my uh, heads of the theater department at the time and they were, they were like, well, you didn't, you haven't taken the writing class. And I said, well, it's, I already wrote it. Here it <laughs> yeah. is, <you> know? <laughs> I'm going to produce it. And they were like, well, no, you've got to, you got to take the writing class and you have, you know, and I've, I've always been, if somebody tells me this is impossible or no, I usually am like, well, I'll do it anyway. <laughs> you know? Um, so I did it outside of the theater department. I, I got my own space and, um, And I got my own, you know, actors from my friends, theater friends. And um, I wrote two plays in college. The first one was the longest one act in the history of everness. Like, I I learned about editing because I wrote a one act that was like an hour and 45 minutes, you know. And I had the audience for 45 of those minutes. And I absolutely had them. And then I just saw people start to shift in their seats. And I was like, oh, my God, uh, big mistake. And so then I wrote a second play. That was like a tighter. It was a two-act play, but it was like forty-five minutes and forty-five minute acts, and and it was a play about um, <laughs> it was a play about Elvis Presley fans. It was <laughs> called uh, The Second Coming, and um, at that time in society, there was this weird period where there were all these weird like people who thought Elvis was still alive, mm-hmm. and and all these sightings, and he's in Michigan, and he's here, and he's there, and so I wrote a play about a group therapy where. <laughs> everybody in the psychologist's uh, group therapy session was obsessed with Elvis just a, like pure fluke. Um, and he couldn't get any of them to talk about <laughs> anything else. So this new guy comes into the group and he gets them to do a psychodrama, like role playing where he has them play Elvis for the group uh-huh. to try to get them to confront their, their, you know, unresolved emotions about his death. And, uh, and uh, they come to believe he really is Elvis. And then the play ends with them ritualistically, um, Stabbing him to death <laughs> to love me tender. <laughs> oh my God! Uh, when they when they're confronted with the the reality of <gasps> they're obsessed with me, they're so horribly disappointed that they kill him. Um, but in any case, uh, and this really is like waiting for Guffman. <laughs> Going back to mentioning Christopher Guest previously, I invited. I wrote to all the drama critics in L.A. and I said, I wrote a play. <laughs> you should come see it. You know, yes. at like you know junior in college. Um, but the crazy thing is somebody did. Um, <laughs> yes. And I still remember who it was. It was the drama critic uh, who's now, I think, a movie critic for the LA Times, Glenn Whipp. And uh, he actually came <gasps> and talked to him, I think, a little bit afterwards. And then just without knowing anything about it, all of a sudden, at the end of the year, they in the all the LA papers, they're doing their 10 best this, 10 best that. He listed my little play as one of the ten best plays in LA against like Les Miserables and like huge productions, (laughs) and so that kind of like propelled me into wanting to write more. Wow! Because I had this crazy thing happen when I was really young. Um, So when I was a tour guide, I was already writing and you know doing a lot of things like that, trying to produce my own stuff. Um, And I had an opportunity then to become a production assistant or gopher mm-hmm. for the construction of the lower level of the theme park in Hollywood, which we call studio center. Um, it's when we built the escalator. Yes. I remember oh it was a big God. deal when it got built and it was, yeah, it was before the ET ride was built. I was working specifically on a show called the world of cinema magic, which was, um, back to the future, uh, the magic of Alfred Hitchcock and uh, the Harry and the Henderson Henderson's sound effects show, yes. Yeah. I, I remember I, I got so,
0: up, I was a guest as a kid. You you would like oh, wiggle really? some of the sheet metal or something to make like lightning and thunder yeah, effects. I'm the
4: guy who like put that sheet or helped put that sheet metal in Whoa. there, you know. because I, I worked on that project in and this is, you know, this happens, I think, in a, a lot of people's careers. There's always these moments where you can either go left or right or yep. these kind of turning point moments in your career where you have to make a decision. And it doesn't seem maybe all that important at the time. But when you look back, you're like, wow, good thing I did yes. this instead of that. <laughs> yep. But I finished the project and I thought, I've made it. I'm going to be a theme park. You know, I'm going to work my way up and become a you know, designer. And, uh, and instead, I got a pink slip. Oh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> because everybody did because back in those days they just it was a very small group of people working creatively on the theme park stuff Mm -hmm. they didn't do big attractions very often we hadn't even built our first ride yet because that came later with et so um i i left and i worked outside universal for five years for a company in maria del rey called kevin Biles design and they really did industrial theater they did like Car shows for Toyota, Whoa. business meetings, with multiple slide projectors, and all this kind of multimedia stuff. But they also were starting to do theme park stuff. So I worked my way up from a production coordinator to a show writer producer. And then that's when the Elvis thing came back to bite me because <laughs> my, one of my main writing... We got this job to, to produce the show for Elvis Presley Enterprises oh. um, in Las Vegas. And (laughs) I was the writer, so I had to fly to Graceland and meet like all of Elvis's, you know, Priscilla and all of the people associated with Elvis Presley. I got to go to Sun Records when Sam Phillips was still alive and like have him go, here, kid, put on these headphones (gasps) and I'm gonna play you outtakes of me recording Elvis in the fifties and here's Jerry Lee Lewis and here's Johnny Cash and here's and and you know, meet all these people, you know. And the, and like a lot of things in this industry, you know, it it never happened. It never got produced. I wrote this whole show, but, um, at the same time, um, I got asked to write the one and only movie I ever wrote in my career. (laughs) And there's a reason for that (laughs) because it's really terrible. (laughs) Um, but these guys sought me out and at the time I had a writing partner. Um, and, uh, they were like, hey, we know your play. And in retrospect, I don't even, they, I think they read the article in the LA <laughs> yeah. papers about me, but they, I don't think they ever saw the play. But they they were like, we're want you know we gonna make this movie and we want you to write it. And so I sat down with my partner and we wrote like this like coming of age road movie and we pitched it to them and they were like, oh my God, this is great, but we can't sell it. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean you can't sell it? And they're like, look, we got an idea. And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like- what if there's this really hot rock star <laughs> and what if he gets kidnapped by these super hot sorority girls and then they hold him for ransom in their sorority house. And if you, if you could write something like that, we can sell it. Oh. And so I, I, you know, stupidly did. <laughs> and they, and they actually, you know, to their credit, they actually made it. Um, and it was called Rock and Roll Fantasy. And then the name, it's been bought and sold so many times. I don't even know who owns oh. it and I And I never got a dime off this movie. Oh. But uh, it got made. Uh, it was on VHS and it was on cable and everything. But uh, the, the funny part of this is the two gentlemen, the producer and the director who made that movie, are the guys who uh, are the guys behind Sharknado. Oh. And, you yes, know, okay. And all, uh, I think it's called Asylum. But but they they've gone on and produced you know all these movies yeah. so they they've made a whole career, uh, but I was their I was their very first movie. Huh. So uh, shortly after that, um, I came back to work for Universal Creative, and I uh, came in initially as a writer, and then worked my way up to creative director. And huh. I produced a, and created a bunch of attractions for the theme parks. And the last thing I did was the Revenge of the Mummy. I uh. created that ride in Hollywood. And then right after that, I got a phone call. Um, from the general manager of the theme park, and he said, "We're thinking about bringing horror <gasps> nights back," and he asked me if I would do it. And um, it was kind of a huge leap of faith because there was no guarantee it would work, and right. there was no guarantee it would be more than a year. You know? Right. So that's how it all started. Wow.
0: that's incredible. Can I ask you a a quick question? It's a sidebar, but did you were you responsible for backdraft?
4: No, I wasn't. <laughs> I was working. Um I think I was working for Kevin Biles at the time. The one's I was responsible for was the old special effects show yeah. after the World of Sid Magic, uh-huh. the one that had the creature factory and uh all of that. I I created that show um, the revamp of the studio tour in 2000. I put the video monitors on the tram and all that. Nice. Uh, I, I did the timeline of movie posters that go down the hill. I love that. Anything with history, awesome. anything with movie history, I probably did it because that was my, I did the movie museum that used to be there yep. called the Universal Experience. Um, that was mine with Chris. My, and, you know, Chris Williams is, is the guy who is my equal partner in all things Horror Nights. He's the art director, production designer.
0: Awesome. Well, the only reason I asked was because Betsy worked at the backdraft attraction when she moved to I did, to I Angeles. did,
1: yep. I worked there. It
4: was fun. <laughs> no, I, I did not do backdraft, but I certainly saw it plenty of times. Oh, time. yeah, yeah, I bet. <laughs> I, backdraft was cool. I love practical effects. Yes. I love real practical effects. And when you think about it, that last set with the fire was that's still pretty mind-blowing. It's
1: truly mind-blowing just think of, like... There's so much fire right there in front of so many yeah. alive
4: people <laughs> inside. Yeah. was yeah. real fire. Yeah, yeah, It was incredible. <laughs> it was, you know, I, I did work with Ron Howard a lot. Uh, I did. I, I asked him, you know, Ron Howard, the, when we first did this, the revamp of the studio tour, I really wanted Ron to be the, the host to kind of welcome you to it and do, and he did little bits throughout the tour. And I mean, that guy, you know, you always hear stories about Ron Howard and what a nice guy he is. I mean, it's all true. You know, it's—he was doing, God, I think, in two thousand. What movie was he doing? Was he doing Grinch? He might have been doing Grinch. Oh, yeah. Or Nutty Professor too. or you? Or through Imagine? But I, he was incredibly busy, and I remember he came on a Saturday to film that with oh. me, like in the middle of all these productions, and he was the nicest, sweetest oh. guy and And he was um I remember Ron said something to me when I was working with him. He goes, "Did you do those movie posters going down <sighs> the hill?" And I said, "Yeah, I did." And he goes, "You know what? Every time I'm on the lot, I always make a point of driving my car down that Aww. hill because it makes me so proud to see my movies <laughs> alongside the movies that I love And I was like, "That's cool. That's really cool meaningful <laughs> you know, what a what a gem. He was just you know, and is he's just you know. The nicest guy,
0: oh. but. Well, thanks for taking that little sidebar. Jack, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. at least that's
4: right. I, I took a few
0: myself. No, no I mean, this
1: is so fascinating. I love. I'm talking it so to a much.
0: couple Universal employees or former employees, so you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean. It's I, and I, as a person who grew up 20 minutes from the theme park, going there my entire childhood, this has basically <laughs> become a Universal cast. But maybe we can talk about uh, simultaneously the uh, way that you kind of go about creating a maze uh, from like sort of start to finish in whatever detail you want to go in. Sure. Using killer clowns as an example.
4: Yeah, oh, that's good. Okay. Well, before I do that, I have to kind of explain like my connection to that film. Please. Because, um. You know, I came to Killer Clowns... Uh, I actually am one of the few people... I, I'm the only person I know that saw it in the movie theater. <laughs> yes. You know, Killer Clowns is one of those movies that that really developed its fan base both on videotape, um, you know, and also, you know, on cable and things like that. It, I, I could... I might not... be. You could ask the Chiodo Brothers or you could ask um, some of the other people who worked on the film, but my recollection is it only played in, in like, two theaters in Los Angeles over, like, a weekend or something. <laughs> yeah. It was, like, a really limited run. Um, and the only reason I knew about it, and the only reason, like, I went to see it, other than I thought the title was great, you know, I was like, oh, that's a great theme yes. for a movie. Um, I was a huge fan of the Dickies, the band, the seminal Los Angeles punk band. Yes. You know, that that's a band that deserves... And I don't know if you're going to get a chance to talk to Leonard or Stan or anybody from the Dickies, but, man, those guys... Those guys should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for their contributions to music because, you know, people forget they were the first punk band signed in L.A., the very first. Wow. You know, after, you know they, they go back that far. They are, they are the originators of, of, you know, the L.A. punk movement. But there certainly wouldn't be bands like Green Day and stuff without the Dickies. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they are... Um, and particularly that, the thing that they did so well is taking like, classic songs that you would never think of as punk songs and turning them into punk songs, like taking Simon and Garfunkel's The Sound of Silence and <laughs> Black Sabbath's yes. Paranoid and and turning them into punk songs. And they always work, you know. But I was a huge, huge fan of the Dickies. And, like, opening night of Horror Nights, I, I actually got to talk to Leonard and tell him the story. I was like, you know, dude, <laughs> uh, there's only one night where I actually... Saw two bands in one, like two separate concerts in Mm -hmm. one night. And um, the first concert I went to was uh, saw Dylan um, at the Greek Theater. And uh, after the concert was over, we realized that you guys were playing a midnight show at the Coconut Teaser, which is no longer there, you know, the, you know, the, this club that was down on, in, you know, on the strip. And, um, and so we raced from, the Greek because the Greek always had to end it a little yes. more early because of the neighborhood and everything. And we raced down to the teaser, so just so we could catch your midnight show. And I saw the Dickies a bunch of times, but I knew them and I knew that they were doing the you know, killer clowns from outer space was that they were doing the, the part of the soundtrack and everything. Um, so I went to see it. I think I saw it in Brea, yes. I think it was, <laughs> yes. I think it was some random like it was playing in LA and Brea or something, <laughs> but um, and I loved it. I loved the movie right out Uh. of the gate. I was like, God, this is like, why isn't this like playing more? You know, this is a great movie. You know, there's lots of B, like B movie or low budget horror movies that are, you know, can be amusing or whatever. But that, that movie had heart and it had something that a lot of other movies didn't. Um, And it was, you know, really well written. And it was the, and of course the Chiodo brothers, their design was fantastic. Uh. The creatures and everything. Um, and the cast was really fun and good, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so I always loved the movie. My fear with it was, um, you know, that it would translate to an audience, a mass audience like Horror Nights. Because, you know, the thing you, you can't um, – if you're a fan of horror, you can't – when you're producing a, an event that's like for the mass public – you can't get too geeky. You know, you can't be too much of a horror geek. You have to understand that, like, even when you're doing things like poltergeist or even movies that you would think like everybody knows, there's going to be a large percentage of people that just don't know it. Of course. And sometimes, sometimes they won't like it just because they don't know it, you know? Um, So I was always kind of afraid. And it's the same reason I was always afraid of doing the classic monsters, which I didn't do till 2018, really. Um, I was just worried that a modern audience mm-hmm. might not get it. You know, it's hard humor's hard to translate to a maze. It's really hard to do because a maze is not a verbal experience. It's a visual experience. Mm-hmm. You know, every bit of storytelling has to be done visually because you can't stop and do a scene in the middle of yeah. it. Everything's gotta keep going. So um, but Orlando did a uh, did a scare zone the year before, and it was really popular. And so we were talking, and and we had talked about doing a maze. And then I finally just said, "Okay, let's do it. Let's do it." And they were going to do the maze, and, and you know, I said, let's, "Okay, let's join forces. We'll both do it." Um, so back to your question about how you break it down? It starts with the film. Um, I'm the worst person to watch a movie with <laughs> when I'm working. When yeah, I'm working. Yeah. Because uh, it takes me about eight hours to go through a movie the first – like usually I'll watch it once just to watch mm-hmm. it. And then when I go back to watch it a second time, it's about eight hours. And that's because I'm stopping every two seconds to write notes. Uh-huh. You know? And I'm, I'm, what I'm logging is – I'm kind of logging the time code of the movie just like you would do time code if you were doing an editing session. And what I'm looking for is pieces of audio, uh, music, sound effects – dialogue uh pieces of the film that we're gonna want the location photography on because one of the things we always try to do with any movie we're working with us i'll always uh, go to whatever studio it is and go I-, I need access to all your location photography everything and and that's that's a lot of stuff <laughs> yeah. like people don't realize how many pictures are taken during the course of a movie, um, mostly for continuity, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's it, there's always a photographer on set, and they're always click click clicking away, um, and that can be, it's probably averages between twenty to forty thousand pictures oh per film. Oh my god! Wow. So I, I have to go through all of that. Um, so once I've once I've kind of gone through and taken all my notes, and I've and I've gone through all of the photography, and and I might only pull two or three hundred pics, but I'm looking for stuff for my art director, Chris, um props sets from as many angles as I can get it, costumes, makeup, uh, etc. Um, and then he and I will usually do a creative session. Back before I moved to Ireland, we would sit in my office with post-it notes and we would put them on the wall. And it would have three kind of categories, um environments characters and then either action or special effects like what's what's the physical action or you know what's if there's any kind of unusual special effects we we try to put it together in and, and that way the reason we use post-it notes is is we could kind of cut and paste really mm-hmm. quick like okay well maybe that should go here and that should go here but that that process is always really fast like the basic putting a maze together up on the wall and whether it's a post-it note version or a, a, or in nowadays what i do is i write an outline um that that initial creative burst happens very, very fast. it'll happen in less than an hour wow. um and then <clears throat> I go and I write the treatment and the treatment is a is a document that is anywhere between seventy five to a hundred pages long um it's written from the guest p o v as if they're Whoa. as if i'm walking through the experience it's a, it's an actual narrative like you know
0: so are you using like flowery language or like kind of like painting the picture so like the reader feels like
4: yeah. Yeah. And I'm running out of adjectives because <laughs> after, uh, you know, I've, at this point I've done like 88 Wow! Oh, so I, I always, you know, I, I always like get self-conscious about my treatments, especially if anybody's been on the team for a while, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. because it's like, and suddenly, you know, yep. our, you know, adverbs and adjectives it's like without warning. You know, I, uh, yeah. Yeah. Without warning. Suddenly yeah. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> You, there, there are cliches that end up in the treatments for sure. Um, but, it, but yeah, it does it does try to paint a picture. Uh, and then there, at the same time, I'm doing a technical breakdown, which is uh, all the disciplines. So it's what's the scenic? What's the props? What's the hand props? What's the lighting doing? What's the audio doing? What's the effects? What's, is there video? Is, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's partly a technical document and it's partly uh, a narrative. And then Chris takes that and then he does a conceptual ground plan and then that gets turned into, you know, a working ground plan. And then at, at this point, nothing has been done to a computer other than the writing, mm-hmm. or typing, nothing's been a computer hasn't touched anything. It's all done by hand. Um and then that's put into CAD more for the construction mm-hmm. to make sure everything is accurate. But we and we do that an architectural program. Yeah. Okay. Yeah um and it's really just to make sure the physical construction is correct um, but we ch- we tend to not do any previs we tend to not use 3d programs uh, we tend to be pretty much by hand every all the elevations are done by hand all the drawings mm, wow. so he's got to do ele- he's got to he and his art department which is very small it's not a lot of people um, have to draw elevations of every single wall in the maze. Um, And then that all goes into the drawing package. And then we have really long, boring meetings (laughs) with the entire team, all the disciplines and any (laughs) vendors that are, you know, lighting designers or whatnot, um, audio. And we go through scene by scene, every single smallest minutiae of detail that's, that's pulled from the drawing package and my treatment And then that's put into these really long spreadsheets of like, you know, it's basically to make sure that no piece is lost and everything has a responsible party of who's doing what, how, how is it, is it being built? Is it something we have, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then, um, you know, usually construction starts about May, June, Mm -hmm. um, depending on locate, it's depending on when we can get into locations because now the events expanded all the way into the movie studio over the years, yeah. so of course, movie studios—they're always renting locations, and you know, there there are years where it's like, oh, so and so wants to film here, we have to wait another two weeks, you know. So you're always flexing with the schedules of movie studios, um, and you know, you're at the same time you're doing the makeup and you're doing the costumes, and and uh, so it's you know, last year we did ten mazes. Wow. That's like doing ten independent horror films yeah. at the same time. You know, it's an enormous amount of work. So with with Killer Clowns, um, I knew that the the comedy of it had to come through the sight gags and the visuals, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, a really good example is there's that really great scene in the movie where <laughs> the shadow puppet, which oh. I just love that scene. Yes. Which we did in the maze. Mm-hmm. We did it in the maze with video projection. and But we had the performer miming like he's doing, you know, the the little genie <laughs> yes. dancing and then it turns into and then he's actually able to step on what we call an, an audio lighting trigger. In this case it was also controlling the video. So he's able to activate that and make it turn into the T-Rex. Oh. So and that's because it's live theater. Cool. You know, everything's live. Uh-huh. You can't it's not a it's not like a ride where you can pre-program everything and it all plays out perfectly the way you want. These are live actors. These are people walking at different speeds as they go through it. So everything um you know, so much is in the hand of the actors. Mm-hmm. So you, so we give them the ability to trigger their own audio and lighting cues, Ooh. and sometimes video. So a lot of it, you know, was tr- trying to figure out what those sight gags were going to be, um, and and still make it scary. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, that that's always the goal is to try to make it scary. Um, I remember one of the early things that I really wanted to do with Killer Clowns, um, which I think the actors did fantastically well was I wanted um, you know uh, the uh, Royal Dano's character (laughs) the uh, the poor you know (gasps) guy who sees the meteorite and goes yes boo boo (laughs) where's my dog dog. (laughs) so we had uh, we had this idea right that I wanted him in front before you even go in to come out and do that spiel and then grab the the lines of the tent and be shocked uh, which meant that they had to lip sync to that because that was all pre-recorded, and they're lip syncing. Yeah. To it. Uh, w- luckily, the repetition of how many times <laughs> they're going to hear that, uh, they get really good at <laughs> yes. it. You know, I, le- I learned that years ago. Like, oh, they hear it so many times that they can perfectly lip sync mm-hmm. to it. Um, it becomes like second nature. But you know, those performers were fantastic. Ah. They did such a good job with it. So we really wanted. I wanted that out front because I thought that really set the tone for the experience plus i just love royal dano's character oh. um i i had loved him ever since um some something wicked this way Comes*. he's in that movie too and i just thought I, I just really wanted that and uh there's a there was a shadow projection too that you see while he's doing it of a clown you know yep. tiptoeing in the yeah. background um which we filmed we shot all that um I think I don't know if we used it, but at one point I thought it would be funny if he had the dog. You know, <laughs> yes. he was carrying the dog. It's not in the he takes the dog in the film, but you never see what happens to the poor dog. Yeah. And I and I filmed it, but the poor dog looked so dead, oh, you know. Yes. Um, that I thought, oh God, you know, there's probably a reason in the film why they didn't show the <laughs> demise of poor boo. Oh. So I thought it I thought it was a little harsh and and just went with him tiptoeing. Um, but then of course taking you into the spaceship oh. and then and then taking you into the town and going to all the different locations we went. The other scene, I, I there's a lot of scenes in that maze that I thought the performers did oh. very, very well. But I love the guy playing the, the the sheriff who was the uh,
1: yes, you know, an animal
4: house. The guy who was the dean in Animal House, um, being being puppeted by the by the other clown. Uh, I just thought. That was, that awesome. was such a good that.
1: scene. And it was so scary and creepy. Just like in the, like it was it, such, yeah.
4: they were so good. And sometimes that's the thing that we, I I, I always like to do. I, you know, I, I like to do scenes sometimes. Cause there's so much of what you're going through in a haunted house is bah, bah, yes. bah. Um, and it has to be, it has to be that because that's why people are going. But I like to take a moment. And have like a little scene play out that where nobody's physically trying to scare you and go for a different emotion. Yes. And um, that one's just creepy. And there's no one scaring you. See, nobody jumps out at you. Um, and it just works really well. I also like the the clown <laughs> that um, with the Valentine box that's kind of <laughs> like hiding behind the tree. And I directed him. I was like, I just wave at people. You know, just be like- That's how we need. It's just creepy. You're a big freaking clown. You're terrifying. You know, even though it's a more comedic look, it's still- creepy and um that luckily it was so embraced by the guests they just love that maze it was shocking to me how how i was actually really surprised how popular it was because i underestimated it personally i mean i thought you know because i think it was colored by my experience of having like gone to the movie theater and been in the theater with like 10 people when it first came out um I, I don't think I quite realized how big a cult film it really is, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, I mean, the it was shocking. I mean, it was like, wow, this thing's a hit, yeah, you know? Yeah. And it was exciting, too, because, you know, if ever there, there's a franchise that deserves that love, it's that one. They've they have been wanting to do a sequel for eons. Yeah. You know, and my God, the, the, you know, Obviously there's a fan base for it. There's a huge yeah. fan base.
0: Yeah, watching people who clearly had never seen the film at Halloween Horror Nights uh enjoy yeah. it was so cool and affirming, <laughs> you know, that it's like yes, this
4: Yeah, I, it stands the I test think of that time. That is a good word for it. It is affirming. It's like, "Oh, okay. Cool, you guys." Cuz there's a whole generation that you know, um there's the ones that are that have heard of it and know of it mm-hmm. but there's probably a lot of casual you know horror fans that went to the event not knowing a thing about it and to see them embrace it and love it that that's exciting that's always that's always been one of my biggest pleasures with horror nights like going back to you know when I did the Alice Cooper mazes cuz yes. he was my childhood hero oh. and to be able to years later and I get this all the time from fans it's like you turned me on to Alice Cooper's music or you turned me on to Black Sabbath or you, I didn't know anything about American World from London until I saw The Maze and now it's my favorite film yeah. or, you know, The Universal Monsters or you you name it. We, we've we had the opportunity to turn people on to a lot of things and that's the cool thing. Yeah,
0: yeah it's it's great. Uh, and it must be so fun to get to make that many uh essentially like a mix between like a, a ride and a film like it feels like you have yeah. the opportunity to create these ephemeral art pieces <laughs> yeah that yeah
4: that have that have a short life and they live and then they die <laughs> yes.
0: how does that feel afterwards that, like i imagine you're used to it at this point but i, I don't know I, I would feel so attached to it working on it so long I, I would want them to last forever yeah
4: you you get used to it you know i remember but like the Alice Cooper one was so personal because that was literally like I, when I discovered Alice Cooper in the mid '70s, um, you was know, like you know my two favorite loves, rock and roll and and yeah. horror combined together. This is the greatest thing ever. And you know I used to write him letters when I was a kid. You know I remember there was a period, you know, Al- there was a period of Alice's career, uh, in the kind of. L- mid eighties where he just kind of disappeared for a long Mm -hmm. time and he didn't do any albums and he didn't do anything. And I remember sending in my money for his black widow fan club and actually getting a letter back from the guy who ran it at the time. His name was Renfield and he's passed away now, but Renfield sent me back my money. (gasps) And he was like, I'm sorry, we got nothing going on kid, but here's an autographed picture of Alice, you know? And, um, And I still have somewhere. I still have that, but uh, you know, to then get to actually work with your the guy who you idolized, you know, and get to and then get to know him too, like you know, and get to know his family and all that. That that's just like you. I don't know if it even is registered now. It's gonna probably take years from now for me to go like, wow, that was a trip, you know. Or, or um, you know, Black Sabbath. Like I was a huge Sabbath fan, and all of a sudden, you know, one day you're backstage in a in a arena in Texas talking to Ozzy Osbourne and Tony Iommi and Geezer Butler, and, wow. and you know, and Ozzy's hugging you. You know, <laughs> yes. it's the weirdest thing. Um, and uh, you know the, the and like Slash too. You know, like our our relationship the way that that's evolved with that started at Horror Nights. Yes. That was him. He came to see Black Sabbath. He'd never even been to Horror Nights and he um, was a huge Sabbath fan. <gasps> and so I I met him that night and I took him through the maze. And as soon as he came out, he's like, let's do something together. Aww. And I was like, cool, give me some time to think about what that <laughs> <Yeah>. is. And, <laughs> and um, you know, we've done, let's see, Clowns 3D, uh, Universal Monsters, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. He's done scores for Three Mazes for me. Awesome. now. And you know, and it's crazy because like you know, we just stayed friends and and um and you know, my kids who are five and seven like the like a Guns N' Roses song comes on them. my sister uh, my daughter will go, that's Slash. Oh, that's Slash isn't it, Daddy? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, Yep, that's Slash. You know. And there there's been times where you know we're driving somewhere in Ireland and and November rain came on the radio yes. and, and and my little littlest daughter goes. Axel sounds sad. Was was he sad when he wrote this song? Ask Slash. And I'm like, okay, pick up the phone. Hey man, where are you? Oh, he's on tour somewhere, you know, like hey, my so Addison wants to know when 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 Axel wrote you know, November rain, was he sad? You know, he's like responding back and forth. And then my kids are like, what is your favorite color? Now they want to know what your favorite color is. (laughs) And he's such a, he's such an awesome, nice, nice, nice guy. You know, the the other, we're doing a little Halloween video uh, with me and the kids. That's what we've been doing during the pandemic. We've made all these short horror films together and we're making all these, all these little movies together. We're making this one for Halloween. And and they were they wanted to sing this little melody and they were singing it and I realized, wait a minute, <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, that's the melody he wrote for me for the clowns 3D maze. They're singing, not the whole thing, but they're singing a part of it. It's clearly oh the... no. And I was like, I go, hey kids, um, that's you know, Slash wrote that. He wrote it for daddy, but I, you know, that's his music. And they're like, Well, ask him if we could use it. like, <laughs> okay <laughs> All right. <laughs> sent him a message hey uh here's the deal so my daughters want to know if they can get permission <laughs> to use your piece of music and then he wrote back like i give them express permission you know i love it it's just it's so awesome oh. you know and that's the the really lovely thing about horror nights and the horror community in general is that, that you're gonna find and rock and roll i found mm-hmm. the coolest people the nicest people uh, the humblest people yeah. um, are in, you know, the, the people that were in rock and roll and people that um, were in horror yeah. tend to be the coolest, nicest people in the industry, oh. at least in my experience. Yeah. And that's that's just a a neat part of it all is like, you know, you get to work with a lot of people you idolize, but they turn out to be the coolest people. Yeah. You know? Oh,
1: that's so cool.
0: Oh.
4: I wanted to ask
0: you: uh, do what happens to the props and these sets and these costumes? Like, are they broken down? Or are they put in storage? Are we ever going to get Killer Clowns again? Because Betsy and I personally well, need no. it uh, <laughs> in our
4: lives. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. Well, you know, when you go, when you talked about, you asked me about Strike, which I totally avoided answering because, <laughs> um, because I hate it. I don't. Um, mm-hmm. I've never, honestly, I've never once watched yeah. it in my career. I've never walked. You know, November. Well, not even November first, because we like we blew past that years right. ago, where we go past Halloween now. Well, thank but, you for
0: that. You know, even in,
4: <laughs> even in the old days, I I never went and walked into a maze when it was being torn down. Yeah. I never wanted to see it. Um, I kind of emotionally separate from it. The the <laughs> I remember the last night of Alice Cooper. This is the only time I've I've been that close to a maze where I was like trying to hang oh. on to it. Um, I. I went down, I don't know, three o'clock in the morning. I walked the whole maze by myself in the dark with just like the, you know, I think they'd even turn the lights off and I just had like a flashlight or something. And I just kind of walked through the whole thing. Mm. And I had written that maze with um, the character of Steven, which is from Welcome to Our Nightmare, his little bedroom in the front of it. And then I just laid laid down in the bed and I just laid there for a while (sighs) and just went, okay, we did this, we did this, this actually happened. It's going to all disappear tomorrow, oh. but it, but it actually happened, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so what we do is we tag stuff that we're, you know, we go through and put tape, okay, we're saving this, we're saving that. You have to be strategic about what you save because mm-hmm. you can't keep everything. You know, we have a massive collection of, you know, we basically have like a prop house these days yeah. you know, of furniture and, you know, all sorts of stuff um but there's that's finite too you can't store everything and some stuff just doesn't survive like you know if it's rock work if it's chicken wire and spray foam Mm -hmm. you can't really store that just going to break apart um so you you kind of strategic strategically decide what you're going to try to save and what you're what you can't save and then that has to get as we call it decommissioned yeah you know it goes away um and a lot of stuff's gone you know that you have to just get rid of um and plus if you're you know if you're working on a particular film and you only have the rights to do something for so long you kind of have to right of course know, to go yeah um so whether or not it, it comes back uh, or comes back in a different you know manner well that we've certainly brought back properties you know i think uh, i'm probably going to lose count but i mean we've done certain franchises as many as five times but we try to do them in different mm-hmm. ways in the old days in the very old days we would do like friday the 13th and then we would do the exact same maze the next year and that we don't do that anymore because our our audience evolved to where they just want new all the time mm-hmm. you know um so even if we're going to bring it back and that becomes an interesting creative challenge you know of itself like we did Texas in two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, Texas Changes on Massacre. Those were both based on the remake, mm-hmm. the new line remake. Then we did it then we did it again based on the Toby Hooper film. Mm-hmm. And then we did it again, but we didn't want to repeat it. So I created my own sequel basically. I went, okay, this film is set between the first film and the second film because I wanted Chop Top. <laughs> I was like, yes. I want to work Chop Top into this <laughs> yeah. somehow. Um so I kind of wrote uh sequel that didn't exist basically and found a way to plug it in um so i would love to do killer clowns again i'd love to do something different with it you know but um yeah i mean i would it wouldn't take a lot of convincing for me (laughs) because i i love the film franchise it's proven itself that it that people like it too and um i'd love to see it again
3: yeah
1: Oh, man, me too. It was are so there offended. any films? I'd like to see
4: another film. I'd like to see the film. Game. I know. Like to see right. The, it feels you know, like or the television series. now's it, a
1: great time. People are loving sequels and reboots and stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, give it to us.
4: Yeah, I mean, there, it, it, there is really no reason why there shouldn't be... You know that there's no reason the Chota brothers shouldn't get a chance to do another film. Right. You know those guys have created something classic that you know everybody uh, in the horror industry respects, and and it does extend beyond that to where it has quite a fan base. Yeah. You know, it deserves it.
1: Now, is there, um, before we go, is there any movie that you are Dying to make a maze, like has there it, 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 has there been a movie where it's just kind of yeah, like your holy
4: grail of? I I had a lot of those. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've done eighty-eight, yeah, so I've yes. done a whole lot of my holy grails. <laughs> but the, the the probably the biggest one was uh Exorcist. Honestly, I mean that was mm-hmm. that one was. Great. I went after that for a decade, <sighs> tried to get that. I chased it and chased it and chased it. Um, and you never really know why you can't get it. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then suddenly it became possible. Um, but what was terrifying about it, aside from just the thought of doing it, yeah. you know, because, I mean, that is the, to me, that is hands down the scariest movie ever made and always will be. And, and nothing comes even close to it in my mind, yeah. you know. And it's probably because I was how I was raised. You know, my mom's a Catholic theologian, author of multiple books. I, I grew up in, a, in you know, hanging around churches at late at night while she was doing this <laughs> talk or something. Yeah. Wandering around, looking at statues as a little kid and going, did that just move, you know? Um, so, you know, seeing this people that, you know you know, that could have been possessed, you know, yeah. seeing things like that right in front of me as a little kid. So I, I had every reason to be afraid of that movie. Um, what was scary was I just wanted it so bad. I never stopped to think how to do it. Right. <laughs> so the, the, the moment we actually found out this is really going to happen, <laughs> we're now we're finally going to do it. It was absolutely terrifying. And I remember I turned to my partner, Chris, and I said, Oh my God, something just, you know, I just had this terrible realization about the exorcist. And he's like, What? (laughs) And I said, Well, aside from the fact we're going to need to get a priest to like come down here and bless the thing, um, it's a movie about an 11 year old girl that never gets out of bed. (laughs) And it's always the same bedroom. You know, yeah, there are other scenes in the movie, but for the most part, all of the Things. If you ask somebody to name what they remember about The Exorcist, they're going to mention pea soup. They're going to mention levitation. Yep. They're going all the things they're going to mention are things that happened in that bedroom. So, we kind of struggled at first. We were like, "What are we going to do?" Um, and then the real, the light bulb moment for that maze, and there usually is if there's a creative challenge. There's usually a moment where I go, oh, "Ah," yeah. or Chris does. Um, but there was a trailer that was is now referred to as the band trailer and it it came out in the 70s um and it was a a really bizarre trailer in that it used all negative imagery (sighs) like reverse the like so Reagan was like a black and white negative and, and Pazuzu, the demon face. Um, and it was just still images, but they were going like, dun, 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 dun. And it was just a scary voice going, there is a street and a house where a little, you know. And he's narrating the the prologue to what happens in the movie. Um, and these images are, and it was that weird, I uh, think it's the it's that weird modern classical, you know, yeah. tapping strings and all that. Mm-hmm. And it was just these da, huh. da, 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 da images. And I saw that as a child, you know, it was back in the seventies. You didn't, you didn't, I didn't see the exorcist, but I saw that trailer because there wasn't the same rules in place about when you could have uh, advertisements. Uh, I remember as a kid, it was like very common to see like Marlboro, smoke Marlboro in between (laughs) Scooby, Scooby Scooby-Doo or, you know, Jim Beam or, you know, so that, that trailer caused me to have nightmares for six weeks, you know, reoccurring nightmares as a kid. So I suddenly like remembered that and I went, this is the, this is it. This is how we're going to do this. We're going to go into the house. We're going to, we're going to see the spider crawl, which we actually did. We did the spider crawl. Um, But then we're going to take the guest into moments of just pure black and we're going to use that type of approach. We're going to use Pazuzu, sometimes as a live performer, sometimes as just a invisible UV, black light mm-hmm. image that's strobing. Um, and we're going to make you feel like I felt as a kid watching that trailer. And then we're going to take you into the bedroom. And then we're going to take you into the dark. And we're going to take you into the bedroom. And we're going to take you to the dark. And we're. To, I think we went into the bedroom four or five, maybe even more, I can't remember now, times. But it was always um, – and then we used audio – um, there's, I've learned that there are frequencies that you cannot hear that mess with people
1: Oh, really? that are,
4: that are so low <gasps> on, on the audio spectrum that they just make you feel wrong. Um, and we did that. We used all of that cool. stuff. Um, so I, I remember going through that maze and I took, geez, I took, um, you know, Linda Blair through it. I took William Freakin through it. God. Um, <laughs> and, uh. Uh, every time I got to the end, I wanted to get the hell out of there as fast as possible. You know, I just, I just did. It just, it, it, whatever we were doing worked so well on me. (laughs) And I knew where everything was. (laughs) I knew what every gag was. I knew everything, you know, that was coming, but it, no, no mazes made me so freaked out as the exorcist. And then, you know, the shining was a big one. And, um, I used to have a list and I've done almost everything on that list. Um. So, my ones now are are like oddball stuff, cool. like that. that already, not even horror movies you <laughs> yeah. know, that I think sh- should be translated. But you know, we're big carpenter we'll heads. We <laughs>
0: we love. Uh, I mean, we missed your thing maze, which I'm so sad to
4: have. Uh, yeah, the, that was based on the the prequel from 2011. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah.
0: But I'd love a they live maze, which is another kind of. <laughs>
4: That, I've be had awesome. people say that to me. I, I've had I've had several pe- people who I respect their opinion big time. <laughs> I've had people say you should do a they live maze. Yes. Um so you're not the first person who said I that. I mean, I'm just imagining and black people, and white rooms. Carpenter's <laughs> a cla- Well, a lot of people, Carpenter comes up a lot. Not just I mean, obviously we've done the classic Halloween oh. and, and done a, lo- a lot of that franchise, but people also mention things like uh obviously the thing um but the fog, the fog um, would be cool um, yeah john has a lot of a lot of good films yeah. you know so those come up but you know i don't know to me pink floyd's the wall is like Whoa. you know i don't you know fear and loathing and lost <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I mean I would like, love you know, both of those i i i think somewhere it probably never going to happen in a million years um but, like I don't know there's things that are outside of the world of horror that I think could be terrifying to experience if you had to live those movies, Yes, you know? yes,
0: <laughs> you know, yeah, the more abstract stuff I feel like could be really creepy uh in a, in an immersive yeah. way, hmm
4: yeah, I think those things uh. I think those things could be terrifying um, whether they've actually happened or I mean, we've done some wacky stuff. We did, this is the end. That was pretty. Yeah. That one was fun. Uh, And
0: Ghostbusters, I thought translated really well. Yeah. yeah, That
4: was great. Ghostbusters was fun. Yeah. We definitely, we've definitely stepped out of our typical genre uh, on a few, more than a few occasions Mm -hmm. and and done things like musics like that too. But, you know, uh, but those cases were, I so clearly knew exactly what I wanted to do. You know, it's you, you take something like black Sabbath and you go, okay, war pigs, you (laughs) know, all right, I'm going to, even though that film was written about, or that song was written about Vietnam, you know, I'm going to set that in world war one. I'm going to put you in the trench, you know, and I'm going to, and I'm going to make the German soldier, the war pig, you know, and, and, you know, those, those almost become like original mazes, but, uh, but that's, yeah, I think that's, you know, whether or not anything like that ever happens, that would be the kind of thing that would still be like Holy Grail kind of stuff yeah. because I've just literally gotten to do pretty much everything. I mean, there are still some horror properties for sure, mm-hmm. but um I don't want to say any of them out loud because I might jinx it. Right. Right? You know? Got to play it cool. Yeah, don't <laughs> want to do that. <laughs> I mean, awesome. I could look. Well, you just don't, you just don't know where you're going to, mm-hmm you know most of these things happen because of chance encounters yeah. you know it's like uh hostile was because eli roth came to our we used to do a thing called the agro awards opening night It was like a horror film award show and i literally just walked up and eli came up to me and said how come he's never done Hostel? <gasps> i just want to know like why have you never done that film and i'm like nice to meet you. <laughs> you know, I haven't done it cause I don't know you. Let's talk. You know, And then we started talking and we've, we've remained friendly. You know? awesome. And, and, uh, that's how that happened. I mean, Guillermo del Toro happened mm. similarly where, uh, I was at the Igor awards. I was sitting with Alice Cooper's family at his table. We were giving him an award that year and, and, uh, someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, cool. Mr. Del Toro would like to talk to you. And I was like, okay, cool. And I'd just seen Pan's Labyrinth and everything. And I was like, you know, already a fan of his. And I, I walked up to him and I still remember exactly what Guillermo said. He just, he just smiled and he goes, you and I have a lot in common. <laughs> and I said, and I looked at him, I go, I know exactly what you're going to say. It's the universal monsters. Cause I just listened to this big interview with you. And I heard you tell all your stories about growing <sighs> up with those characters. And, um, and he says he's like yes the monsters the monsters and he's like we should do something and i'm like let's talk and we we would have you know he and i had breakfast once at arts deli on ventura boulevard talking about what we were going to do and we were trying to work together for years just schedules didn't line up because he's so busy he's got so many different projects um until crimson peak came along and then because it was a universal film and it just kind of lined up there. That maze is know? so
0: good, by the way. That I feel maze like it was
4: really awesome.
0: It was the best trailer that for is, the film. Cause I hadn't seen it yeah, I think,
4: before. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't come out till October. I believe that year. Oh, the, I think I can't remember, but Guillermo had a lot to do with that. He was very personally uh, involved in the mm-hmm. maze. And that's the thing people don't realize about particularly horror filmmakers. Um, they love to play in in this world you know yeah. they I, and i think the reason is you know when you're making a movie you're, or a television show so much of it's isolation mm-hmm. you know, you're you're out on location you're just with the people you're making the thing with um maybe you know yeah you go to the premiere but that tends to be industry folk you know um it's rare that a filmmaker sees his creation with a real audience right. you know Um, So for them to be able to see what they created in a different medium live with people reacting to it in real time is a huge thrill for filmmakers. And Whether it's been James Wan or Guillermo del Toro or Eli Roth or you name it, you know, um, they they've always like gotten super excited about this, even though it wouldn't seem like that big a deal to somebody who gets to make these movies that, you know. Uh, we, we would aspire, oh, you got to make this movie. Right. But they, they look at what we do as like, oh, you get to do this. Yeah. This is so cool. You know, So that's always been a really cool part of it. You know, Our filmmakers' support is um, – they've been our biggest fans, oh, and that's awesome. What a dream.
0: I mean, I could listen to you talk yes. forever uh, about this. This is truly – a dream also filling really scratching that halloween itch
1: <laughs> oh i know i For want me, to go through I, a maze right now
0: <laughs> you know, deeply it miss makes it. you want to
4: run out of the house and scare somebody <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> maybe yes. that's what i'll do right now
0: it's daytime here so uh <laughs>
4: i think i think i'll turn on the strobe light and then <laughs> yes. I, I have this this one um decoration called the man in the hat oh, god and i actually didn't i didn't buy it my wife bought it <laughs> the, i was three years ago i was the I was in um, LA for Horror Nights and she was here with the kids in Ireland and she bought this guy and he's really creepy. He's like, it's actually like, ai have never seen him in the weird thing. Maybe he's, (laughs) he might be cursed because I've never (laughs) seen him again. I've never (gasps) seen him anywhere else. And he's this weird guy. He kind of, he's like a Victorian gentleman with a black hat, really pale face, really striking eyes. And when you push the button, his head, he, he goes like, it's Halloween night. And he starts talking. And then his head spins around and it's a skeleton on the other side. But she managed to traumatize my (laughs) five-year-old daddy three years ago when she was two with this thing to point where she's just terrified of this thing. So this Halloween, I went up to the attic and I pulled out all our stuff. that we, I've had to accumulate a whole other Halloween collection here because it's too crazy to try to ship stuff. I have a massive collection in LA that no one gets to see anymore. (laughs) And, um, in our house there, but uh, I, uh, I brought him down. I set him up in for like multiple nights. There'd be like a knock on the door. Could I sleep oh. with you? I had a dream about the man in the hat. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, this is awful. This is like the worst thing. She's like terrified of this thing. So I had to physically take him and put him in the guest bedroom, which looks out on the street here in Ireland. And we live in a pretty, you know, it's the biggest town in the county, but it's only 20,000 people. Oh, so yeah. By LA standards, it's a pretty small town, you know. And it's, it's in the uh, county of Donegal. So it's up northwest coast of the country, miles away from Dublin. So it's, you know, they're not used to this type of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I put them up in the upstairs window, not even thinking that, like, kids would be walking <laughs> down the street and going, Jesus, what's that? You know? and, I, and I I look out the window all the time to see it happen. Like, every day it's just hysterical. So we're making a little yeah. – I'm, 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 I'm in post – Post, I'm editing, finishing editing, and putting it all together in, um, you know, with the little song, they song of Slash's yes. melody, and um, it's called. It's it's all about this character, and I, so I wrote a <laughs> typical writer. I wrote a eight page, <laughs> 16, 16 lines, you know, rhyming poem about this character and his whole yes. story of why he came to be, and in, in an effort to cure her of her fear of him um i I wanted to write a story about why he you know because he's like he can't be with any of the other decorations he's secluded upstairs by himself Mm -hmm. why is he there where did he come from what is his story and i wrote this it's kind of it's actually really sad it's like it's like a sad it's like everyone's going to expect like this really scary thing you know when i put this out (laughs) but it's like it's just really kind of a sad little story and um and we had to film the last scene and I needed her to like be in the room with ah. them. And, you know, and I'm like, but you know, we've been making this movie and, you know, he's kind of like, he's your friend now. You know, he's, it's like how, when I was a kid and I saw Frankenstein, honey, I, you know, he, I, he, he's like my friend, you know? And, you know, your daddy's the, you know, you know, they, all the monsters have to listen to me. You know, they, they can't, you know, yeah. they have to do what I tell <laughs> yeah. them. That's my job. Um, so she went up and she's like, came up to me the other day. And she's like, I'm not scared of him anymore. Oh, yay. And I was like, yay, mission accomplished. Like, <laughs> yes. achieve nothing else for Halloween. Yes. Achieve this. And, well you know, through done. storytelling. Well yeah. done. <laughs> yeah. So, and yeah, we all have to, and that's, you know, that, I think that's for everybody out there for Halloween. Like, I know it's a, especially for young people and kids, it's such a drag, Yeah. you know, th- growing up in the world we're all we're all living through right now but that doesn't mean you can't just create it for yourself you know create don't let it die don't let the spirit of halloween die create something yourself doesn't matter how big or small it is um That's the power we all have. And that's what we can do to keep it alive. So there's my motivational talk. for
1: That's good. That got me pumped up. I'm going to make my house terrifying. It's
0: a makeup podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's what we're doing. We were like, we missed it. (laughs)
4: That's what you got to do. That's what everybody, uh, anybody who's creative has got to do in this time. You know, is we've got to just do what we can to try to, you know, do something positive in this world
1: right
0: yeah. now. Well oh. thank you so much. So there you go. Yeah, yeah
1: thank you so My much. My pleasure. Thank you. This guys. was such a treat. It was so wonderful thank talking you. to
4: you and Good talking oh, to you too.
1: Hearing everything. Oh man.
4: Where I, can people
0: find you online if they want to follow you for this see this film uh, as well as yeah, Hollywood Hollywood stuff.
4: Um uh, just just John Murdy, as far as my personal Twitter is just John Murdy, and uh YouTube's just John. I just started YouTube because I have, like I'm pretty old school. Yeah. you know, I didn't grow up with computers or anything, so um, so I'm I'm just um, John Murdy on Twitter and John Murdy on YouTube, and you know, uh, I'm not even on anything else really, Instagram or anything. Not even on Ooh. it. Um, but but Twitter, you know, I'm not running it right now, but it normally. Usually I do, Um, but that's, you know, at Horror Nights is for Halloween Horror Nights.
1: Awesome.
4: Well, thanks again. Thank you so
1: much. Thank you. Justin, wow. Betsy, wow. We did it. That was it. We explored killer clowns from outer space as much as we wanted to for October. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I like that as much as we wanted to. And it's true. We did it no more than we wanted to, no less than we wanted to.
1: Yeah. I, it left me wanting more. I'm excited.
0: I know. I want to watch it again. It.
1: I know. I'm going to totally watch it again before Halloween. Um, and after Halloween. Ooh. This has been so much fun, Justin.
0: Oh, I loved it. This it was I fun to publicly talk about the thing that we talk about anyway. Uh right. so.
1: And we got to talk to so many cool people about it.
0: Like, I know. We, I'm so we blown them.
1: away. <laughs> I'm so blown away. Well, we hope, we also hope you listeners enjoyed uh it as much as we did. Um uh, maybe there will be more. We don't know. As no? of now, we don't know.
0: It's This a is mystery. it for now. Uh and We love you, every one of you, unless you're a creep.
1: Yeah, unless you're a creep, then get the fuck
0: out of here. Get out of here. Everybody
1: else, we
3: love you.
0: Have a happy Halloween in these wild times.
3: Yeah!
0: Killer
5: Clowns from Outer Cast is created and produced by Betsy Sodaro and Justin Michael on an impromptu fucking whim. Killer theme song by Casey Trela, killer logo by Tom Smith, and killer editing by Brian Holmes. A killer thanks to our guests, John Masari and John Murdy, and killer friend of the podcast, Eric Martin, for putting us in touch with Mr. Murdy. If you feel like screaming about how much you love killer clowns at us on the internet, you can find Betsy at Betsy Sodaro on Instagram and Justin at Hey Justin on Instagram and Twitter. And if you think this podcast is to die for, rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And make sure to pass it along to all your killer friends. That's the end of the podcast, so thank you for listening. And watch the skies, because in space, no one can see you eat popcorn. Happy Halloween.